This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. A report by the Institute for Women's Policy Research showed that roughly 60% of the job losses in the last several weeks due to the coronavirus were women. And that pattern cuts across many sectors, leisure and hospitality, retail, education, and more. Part of this is due to the fact that jobs in some fields, nurses, grocery store clerks, which require close physical contact are held on a majority are held by women. Add in the number of single mothers in the U.S. and you're looking at the potential for a significant problem. Stephanie Creary, Assistant uh, Professor of Management at the Wharton School, joins us right now on the phone with more. Stephanie, great to hear from you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thank you. So uh, let's look at this more large scope here for a moment, for a moment if we can. The greatest impacts on, on working women from this pandemic are probably what? Well, I, I certainly want to start out by clarifying uh, what I think what you started to share with us was the groups of women that we're talking about. And I yep. would segment that into three groups. First, we have women who are out of work. And certainly those are the women who work in in fields that highly have a high proportion of women represented, like leisure and hospitality, education, retail, child care services. There's the effects that this pandemic is having on women by placing them out of work. Then we have women who are on the front lines, who you also references, who are working in essential fields, such as health care, and certainly in many of the services right now that are, that are still open, our local grocery stores. They are at risk of getting sick. And certainly we then have a third group of women, and those are women who are working from home with caregiving responsibilities, who are having to manage uh, certainly the, the ability to continue to bring paid income into the household, but have the added, about, the added um, disadvantage of perhaps having to also care for other people, whether they be children or elders. And so I think this conversation necessitates us understanding the three different groups and the difficulties that each are facing, as well as potential strategies for improving their situations going forward. So when you look at some of those issues that, that they're dealing with, and obviously with right now with like nurses and grocery store clerks who are on the front lines, as you mentioned, they're having to deal with the potential of the virus each and every day. The nurses in the hospitals, and if you go to your local grocery store with mine, they've put plexiglass up where the where the store clerk would uh, be at the cash register to try and have a, a little bit more distance between uh, that person and, and the, the person buying their products uh, coming into the store. Yes, definitely. I've noticed the same in my local grocery store when I've gone in there, and certainly the healthcare workers. When I do get outside for just a few minutes, I, I see all of the people walking up and down the street as they make their way to the hospital. And, you know, just anecdotally, there are a lot of, of women in those roles as well. I think what we also have to add a layer to this is, as we're also thinking about women, um, what we know from uh, preliminary reports is that the people who are working on the front lines are also uh, tend to be uh, black and Latino as well. So there are uh, women who are black and Latino, as well as men workers who are black and Latino who are also being negatively affected. And again, what COVID is doing is it's placing all of these individuals at greater risk of contracting the disease and, and becoming seriously ill. I think in the same respect, you can link that to the conversation around what happens at home, because 
these individuals are returning to their homes every day um, and placing uh, their family members and whoever else they live with, their house members, at risk as well. So there's multiple layers of complexity to this that I think um, are things that we all need to consider. Does this potentially have the, uh, have the opportunity to impact the wage gap that we've talked with you about in, in the past between men and women? Absolutely. I think uh, if we start with the first group of women that I referenced and you referenced as well, that women who are finding themselves out of work, um, what we know historically is it's very hard. If, if you lose your job and you gain employment thereafter, it's very hard to come back into a new job at the same rate that you were making previously. So anybody who loses their job in a, in a recession or in a downturn in a layoff layoff situation, it is increasingly difficult to return to a new position at the same pay. And so if we think about the fact that a lot of women are lose, have lost their jobs because they work in these traditional, highly feminized occupations with a high representation of women, um, they might have a hard time recouping uh, their income losses when they eventually do find employment again. We're joined by Stephanie Curry, Assistant Professor of Management at the Wharton School, you're listening to uh, now, you're listening to Wharton Business Daily here on uh, Sirius XM uh, 132. You mentioned about uh, taking care of family members, obviously children being one element of it, but in many cases you you may also be taking care of parents as well, other older family members, and so that adds, I would imagine, to the dynamic here as well. Yes, yeah, so we certainly know that, um, especially as, as, as we often have some research that differentiates generations, right? What's happening with people who are uh, typically identified within the baby boomer generation. What we've noticed trend-wise is that baby boomers are taking, tend to be taking care of both children and their parents as well. And so these were the arrangements, and this was the trend before the pandemic. So enter into the pandemic, now we might have uh, baby boomers and also uh, Older, older people within the Generation X cohort, not only taking care of children, but also taking care of elder family members as well. Uh, and so that becomes problematic, right? Especially if what we can also consider is that we do have people working from home, so they do have the ability to maintain the income, but that brings with it uh, the added challenge of trying to structure one's day um, around people who don't, aren't typically there, right? So the idea would be that uh, many people are working in an office and there might be other arrangements for the children, right? They might be at school or for the people who are um, older, they might have in-care home or they might be yeah. going to a senior activity center during the day. Now we might have a typically someone who is female, taking care of all that in addition to trying to do her regular job, her regular paid work. You brought up uh, the, the issue of school and kids maybe doing schoolwork from home, but when you think about either school or, or daycare, then you're talking about adding another layer to a degree on top of this uh, that, that obviously is going to have a significant impact as well. Right. And I didn't even mention the fact that parents or whoever is in the home is actually having to monitor their kids' schoolwork and the daily Zoom calls or whichever platform is being used to get work done. Uh, it's not an independent activity, I think, for anyone, but certainly for someone who isn't typically used to learning via uh, computer during the day. So I think it's a lot of complexity, and it certainly places a lot of strain on whomever is doing that work. And again, traditionally, we see that it's women who are taking on those responsibilities. 
are there things that maybe we need to look at and address either short term or long term to try and and see if some of these issues can be alleviated for women? Yeah, so I, I certainly think that there are several strategies uh, in the short term um, that individuals and their employers can consider. I think one of them is, I think all of these strategies have to deal with managing the increased workload and the feelings of, of, of being overwhelmed that many of us are facing. And part of that has to do with is how we think about who we need to be and our very notion of what's professional in the workplace. And I don't think now is a time for people to be worried about how clean their living room is or how much noise is in the background or is their shirt exactly the right color for the Zoom chat. So in the short term, there needs to be some relaxation around the rules of engagement. Um, I've certainly been on my own calls recently, video calls, where uh, there have been children and other housemates in the background, and everybody either says, you know, hi to them or you just ignore them. But I think what people are afraid of is being penalized because they're not coming across in this quote-unquote professional way. So I think we need to rethink um, standards of professionalism and whether they're important in the short term. And then I think for the long term, whether these things are actually things we should be judging people and evaluating them based on. So that's sort of my first suggestion there. I think the other idea to go along with that is is how we think about working from home. Um, Working from home is something that I think many employers have uh, created some standards around, but it hasn't been without stigmatization or penalty to the person who's taking those uh, arrangements. And so we have research that suggests that people who take flexible work arrangements like working from home and disclose that they are doing that are more likely to receive lower performance ratings. And so how do we end that cycle, especially since one could argue that our ability to work from home right now is keeping a large part of our economy afloat. So it's not all doom and gloom when people are working from home, but how do we begin to think about the upsides and use this as maybe a best practice? Maybe not everyone working from home, but how do we think about the added advantages of working from home going forward? And I think in the last piece that is important is for people to check in with one another. Um, Certainly, uh, we see best practices of, of senior managers checking in with other people on the management team and making sure that the businesses are running. And certainly we see best practices of managers checking with frontline employees and seeing how they're doing. Uh, But the reality is, is that one of the things I think that becomes important in the context of these checking in is understanding how people are balancing the workload. We've talked so much during this call about people who are taking on extra responsibilities at home. What we also see, what I would love to see more work around is Uh, If someone's taking on more responsibilities at home, who's taking on all the other work that isn't actually getting done? And so I worry about those individuals who are taking on more work for the team so that the team continues to move forward while other people are having to manage their other added responsibilities. So I think this notion of checking in and and checking in on workload and helping to balance the workload is really important now more than ever. So so that would would, uh, seemingly need to lead to, I think, kind of a better understanding within the the office setting or the team or with the manager of what that balance is for each individual within that that particular area of the company. Exactly. And I don't think that that has long been a practice um, or consistent practice, I would say, in many teams and certainly not in many companies, right? We, we measure and we talk a good deal about individual productivity, but the balancing of work and understanding if one person is out, 
right? Let's say somebody on the team is out because they are sick or because they have added responsibilities. Are we reducing the amount of workload so that we're all working to a feasible um, endpoint, or are we deciding that we're just going to redistribute that workload around a fewer number of people? If that's the case, we're engaging in the latter scenario, then some people on the team are taking on more work. And I think that that is concerning, and that certainly doesn't bode well for um, health and well-being of the people still left standing. Stephanie, great talking to you again. Be safe, and we'll see you on campus at some point. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you. Stephanie Creary, Assistant Professor of Management at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.